Boom! Welcome to the next episode of Great Health Does Not Have to Be a Mission Impossible. I am Dr. Trites with New Leaf Health, and on this podcast, I'm going to start explaining autoimmunity. And if you've been diagnosed with autoimmunity or you think you might have an autoimmune condition, this is going to be a lot of great information, and it's going to give you the information what you need to have and what to do to make things better. Number one, what in the world is autoimmune disease? What if I just have autoimmune antibodies? There are people who have that that don't have an autoimmune disease. So I'm going to go into the details of this, plus the differences between traditional medical testing or functional medicine testing and the treatment protocol differences between traditional and alternative medicine. First, how do you get this disease? What are the things that we do in our office to help people get better, whether it's food or possibly checking in your genetics or even acupuncture? There are things that do help what's dampen the immune system to make the antibodies go bound down and therefore you have less inflammation and therefore you can get an autoimmunity into remission. Now, some highlights with autoimmunity. It is an incurable disease. It cannot be fixed. So once you have it, you have it. But the idea is to get it into remission. And once it's in remission, we monitor and make sure that you don't have any things called triggers that bring that along. Now, if you've listened to our podcast at all, we talked a little bit about leaky gut. We talked a little bit about uh, how your body makes energy. We talked about chronic pain, um, blood sugar handling, uh, how to help your brain. All those things can also be triggers. So uh, that's not what this is about. But I want to let you know that as I go through these podcasts, Every single one of them links to the other one. There isn't like, ooh, I have this and this is the only thing I need to do. No, there's a, a bunch you need to do and there's a bunch you need to know about. And some of them are more important to your case. So in this particular podcast, I, I want to bring up why autoimmunity got important to me. My grandmother had autoimmunity. Um, and, and while I'm adopted, that doesn't mean I, I just say, okay, I'm not going to have it. <laughs> I, I could recognize what was going on. And so she had it and then she passed it along to her children. And so I could see what was happening in the rheumatology world of what was going on with her. And she had gone through everything. She'd taken all the medications. She'd done the gold injections. She'd done the silver and flat injections, uh, anything that they could possibly do to help her out. And she still was in quite a bit of pain uh, every day. And every now and then she could open a can, but most of the time from my childhood on, she couldn't do much of anything. So when she got to the end of her life and when I finally got through my last degree in school, my grandmother was on 42 medications. Uh, my grandmother was a walking example of what's called over-medicated and her body started shutting down. And every time she had a symptom, this is what happened as we were, you know, I was just going into pathology. She might have been on six or seven medications. And then, well, this one causes um, indigestion or this one can cause an ulcer. And then she gets another medication. Well, now I'm constipated. Now you get a medication. And now I have a heart palpitation. And now you get a medication. It was just on and on and on and on with her. And um, polypharmacy is a real thing. The majority of Americans are on seven medications. If you're not on them, somebody else is doing that. Um, and, and the thing is, a lot of doctors don't talk with other doctors. Or I have to do my thing because they're in a lane. I am a cardiologist. I realize that you have this other thing that's going on, but I can't do that even though I, I went through school and I'm smart enough to know that. But my hands are tied because I'm in the insurance world. And, you know, I, I can't tell them not to come out of it. Uh, there are a few doctors that are taking the leap of faith and going, you know what, I really want to be a doctor and I really want to help people. And I'm not afraid to not take insurance. And that's a big thing for a lot of doctors to get over because they think their lifestyle is going to completely change and go away. And this is where we get into what goes on with autoimmunity and why it's 
very difficult for managed care to help somebody with autoimmunity because they're limited. So for instance, um, if you listen to my podcast called Hashimoto's, most of them, if you're looking in the insurance world, can only test for a, um, a hormone that's not produced by the thyroid. It's actually produced in the brain and the pituitary called thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH. That's what goes to the thyroid and stimulates it. But are they looking at T3, T4, looking at the um, how it's free, free T3, free 4? Are you looking at how it's um, absorbed in the body, how iodine is absorbed? How are they looking at how it gets broken down in the body? Hands are limited. Well, these are things we do in our office because how can you know? Without knowing the rest of that, it is literally a guess. And oh, by the way, if you get exposure to anything such as, I don't know, a virus, your TSH will change. If you go through dietary changes or metabolic changes, your TSH will change. If you have medications, your TSH will change. So just looking at that all by itself is not enough. And unfortunately, so many people walk into our office and that's what they've been diagnosed with is this TSH too high or too low. And then they get a medication or a diagnosis that goes off of that. And there's so much more to it. So, you know, I'm sure that at some point you've heard of somebody or a loved one who's had that, and it's so much more than just autoimmunity. We have to look at what's called functional um, medicine, or in, in this case, with an autoimmune person, we have to look at autoimmune neurology. How's the immune system being told what to do? Because the nervous system tells the immune system what to do. And if we're not looking to see how your nervous system fires, meaning that you're not in an office that somebody does balance testing, you're not in an office that somebody doesn't look to see if your eyesight's fine, you're not in an office that somebody doesn't look to see how fast you can move your hands back and forth or how quickly you can memorize things, they're missing the component of autoimmunity. Autoimmune means your immune system is attacking your body. It's autoimmune. Auto attack. Not a good thing. Now, who runs that? The nervous system. So let's see what your nervous system is doing. Is the nervous system getting the nutrients it needs to have? Is the nervous system getting the stimulation it needs to have? And if so, if that's going to be maybe an aberration that affects your immune system, and then your immune system attacks you. So most of the time, let's say, from the medical standpoint, they're not looking at that. They're looking at something to stop the pain pattern or looking at something to stop the end pattern. So, okay, I have an elevated TSH in a, a, in a Hashimoto's thyroiditis patient. I'm going to give them a medication that reduces that. Have you addressed anything with the immune system? Absolutely not. And Hashimoto's is an autoimmune, I mean, emphasize immune. Where did this uh, medication called, let's say, Synthroid or, or any, anything synthetic or by biological t3 or t4 none of those are immune medications not a one so they haven't addressed what the true definition of Hashimoto's thyroiditis is which is an autoimmune condition nothing's been addressed for the immune system okay so let's say we have somebody that actually addresses something with your immune system or maybe it's you what are you doing for your neurology are you doing any balance stuff are you doing any exercise uh, what kind of exercise are you doing are you over exercising are you under exercising are you doing it right are you doing it what's going to boost that part of your nervous system that doesn't work right that's allowing your immune system to not fire Big question. So those are the things we do in our office. Now, when it comes to the immune system, we have two parts of it, and there's there's multiple parts, and I'm just really simplifying this as, as, what, as far as we can. So we have something called a T1 and a T2 in the immune system, and one of them creates antibodies, and one of them creates what's called natural killer cells to go kill it. So when you start to lose these things, you can go in one way or the other, where you can have somebody that has a ton of antibodies and no symptoms. Awesome. That means their other pathway, which goes and kills things, isn't doing so much. And then you have another person which never gets sick at all. That means their killer system's great, but they do have antibodies, which means that every exposure to a new virus or bacteria, they're going to attack their body even faster. So 
we have to address both of these, but we have to know where you're at. There is tests that come along with that. And then when you start being to the point that you can't eat things or you can't put on makeup or uh, cologne or when you pump gas, you get a headache. These are what's called loss of immune tolerance as opposed to when you can't break foods down and you start to bloat and swell and get leaky gut and all that fun stuff. That's called oral intolerance. And so in the process of any immune and oral tolerance, you have the ability to break down the immune system, and most of it goes through a leaky gut, and then you have a loss of self-tolerance. And when you have a loss of self-tolerance, that's called autoimmunity. So some people just have an increase of blood sugar or long-term blood sugar called hemoglobin A1C, and that percentage of blood sugar then gets up too high. It starts to age them faster than they should. Uh, the term is called glycosylation. Then it affects how your immune system works. It affects how your body deals with hormones. Um, now, the big picture, there are about 120 different autoimmune diseases, but these are the common denominators that comes along with, with these conditions. They could have a traumatic brain event. They could hit their head. They could be exposed to carbon dioxide. They could have a very big infection, such as a virus, bacteria, fungus, use, or parasite. They could live in a moldy house. They could live in a moldy building. I mean, Aaron Brockovich brought this to light about environmental toxins or what it can be to affect an imbalance of hormones. You could have been on hormone replacement for a long time. You could have taken hormone birth controls. You could get pelleted. These are all things that actually trigger autoimmune conditions. So, when we get there, now, again, you could take all those and you maybe don't have a loss of oral tolerance. You maybe don't have a loss of immune tolerance. You maybe don't have a leaky gut. Fantastic. But it's a trigger. It's sort of like I went out and smoked a cigarette last night. I did not. And um, I'm good. I don't have lung cancer. But what happens if I continue to take that long enough? It's a trigger. It's a, it's a free radical. It breaks things down. We don't want that. So even in the medical world, this is where... You know, from an outside, it's kind of frustrating looking in because I don't, I don't deal in that world. But we know, and there's tons of research that shows there are certain medications that trigger autoimmune conditions. For instance, anti-epileptic drugs, anti-diabetic drugs. They go down, they break down certain things, pancreas and liver, and it causes a loss of self-tolerance. So there are classes of judges that do that. And in 2005, the New England Journal of Medicine said that a patient who's affected with health care is most likely to receive this. A third to half of the treatment is what they deserve. And this is one of the main reasons why. It's because looking at the autoimmunity as from a medical standpoint, again, from the New England Journal of Medicine, you have to wait until the disease steps are in place. So they're not to treat autoimmunity. They wait until it's autoimmune disease. And what this means is somebody can have antibodies and it's there and it's high enough, but they don't have any symptoms and they don't have any tissue damage. So it's not an autoimmune disease. It's what's called autoimmunity. There's a definition difference between the two. So you have to have, to be considered an autoimmune disease, you have to have antibodies, check, and then you have to have symptoms, check, and then you have to have tissue disease or dis destruction, check. There is no prevention in this model. And they brought that to light seven or 16 years ago, almost 17 years ago now. So, and, and this is pretty clinical. Most women at some point in their life are going to have what's called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It's a thyroid condition, which is hypothyroid, meaning it's very low. It affects your metabolism, it affects your brain, it affects your digestion. And when it becomes autoimmune, it becomes Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And this is the number one thyroid condition. This is the number one um, autoimmune condition. This is the number one mismanaged, misdiagnosed uh, autoimmune issue in the world. And as the New England Journal of Medicine is going along with this, they had to talk about that 
autoimmune and immune problems are run by the nervous system and the immune system. So when we're trying to treat this from just treat the thyroid, the thyroid could be just fine. It's just having things attack it. So we want to figure out the things that attack it and pull it away. So again, the conventional approach is to do nothing or wait until there's a problem or to provide, when it gets bad enough, an immunosuppressive drug. Now keep in mind, I need that immune system to do things. So if I've created an autoimmune disease and now I'm going to suppress it, then I can't fight as the other things that created the autoimmune disease. This is why so many autoimmune patients end up in what we call poorly immune autoimmunity or, or poorly managed immune autoimmunity, meaning you had one autoimmune disease and then because you suppressed that immune system, it went and did something else and now you, you have another one. Or now it's poly autoimmune disease. You get another one. So Hashimoto's can turn into uh, celiac. Celiac can turn into Hashimoto's. And so we always want to know what, what caused it. Is it genetic? Is it environment? Wh what, where's our trigger? Was it a medication as a child? Uh, did you take a whole bunch of antibiotics because you had a lot of ear infections? There, there are things that, that can be a trigger that come along to that. And that's why when you have kids in our office that have rashes and earaches and whatnot, we're doing our best to make sure that they don't, we can, we can leave and, and help them without the use of antibiotics because it's huge triggers for them. So long term, okay, great. Unless there's a fever like 101 or this rash is this causing them to bleed, we try to do everything as conservative as we possibly can. So look at all the mechanisms that we talked about that could potentially cause an autoimmune disease. And if you remember, if you listen to the podcast on leaky gut, um, for myself, I was allergic to a lot of these things. I had a lot of things that were triggers. And in our office, we don't fix the mechanisms within the leaky gut. It could be foods. Sometimes we have to do food tests or the other causes of inflammation. Uh, we have we have issues. And generally, to get the inflammation down, it takes about 90 days. It takes about 90 days to get the inflammation down. And then we can do other things. What else are we looking forward to, to bring that down? So the auto approach to you and the autoimmune world is, again, to look at the mechanisms that are in place and turn them off. And then we have to look at what's called your neurology, your nervous system, the autoimmune neurology, because it affects the nervous system in a different way. And by the way, you can have things that create autoimmunity to the nervous system. If you ever heard of muscular sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS, uh, those fall into it. And then you know, most of the time, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's are started in the gut, and you get these what's called beta amyloid plaques, tau proteins, etc. that go to the brain that start to break things down. Um, those are now considered in the autoimmune world. Osteopenia, osteoporosis is considered autoimmune. So if you have any of these and nobody's told you you're autoimmune, hey, diabetes is autoimmune. I have had a dozen patients that walked in my office that are on medications um, and they're on diabetes medications and they've never been told that they are autoimmune. And we should hopefully turn off all the rest of the dings going forward. But I was on a rant, so let's roll with it. So it's very important to know what mechanisms you've gone through and that we're not looking at just this or that. And most of the time, it's not necessarily genetic. If your parents had it, it doesn't mean you have it. Autoimmune twin studies don't show that autoimmunity is genetic. You had to have exposure to something that turned it on. And by the way, it doesn't happen overnight. So if you listen to our first podcast and you remember my story, I started having trouble with my memory when I was 33 years old and memory had never been an issue. In fact, it still irritates people, um, most of it in my family, when we have a discussion and I don't know, for whatever, I'll read it back to them verbatim. Or um, I can walk through any room and see a second or two of a show or usually a movie and I'll tell you what it is or even start quoting it. it it's not fair. I got it. It's not. Um, and my brain was actually a lot better when I was uh, eight, and then I got hit by a car, and that messed up one part of it, but 
Uh, I lost my ability to do math at a fantastic level. I can still do it, but now I have to do it the way everybody else does it, where you have to write it down. Um, disappointing, I know. Uh, third world problems. Yeah, we got it. Okay, so I told my story, uh, and so my memory hadn't been an issue, and I could look at even numbers or a credit card, and I had it in my head for life, which I stopped doing because I, th I didn't think that was good to have in my head. So all of a sudden, in this mid-afternoon, in my, my mid-30s, I started having trouble with names, and this isn't good in any field, so who, hey, you. And so my journey began, and, and the short story was I went to 30 doctors, and as many of you know that you've done that. Um, and, and they might say something, well, you need this supplement, your electrolytes are off, or um, it could be this or that. And um, nobody told me that I might, or even tested for autoimmune conditions. Um, and I got to thinking, well, you know, there are family members, even though I'm not biologically related to them, that, that did this and that. And I remember my mother, grandmother being on 42 medications when she died. Maybe there's something different. I mean, I had a similar environment to grow up. We ate the same food that they did. Could it possibly be that understanding that not all of it is genetic? And so in the functional medicine world, most doctors start with food sensitivities, and, and that's okay, but food sensitivities, food sensitivities are secondary to what's happening. So we try to get the inflammation down, and then we see what foods do you have that we can take away if needed, if you haven't got better in the first place. So I know we can always hop on and do food sensitivities, but that's not what the literature tells us to do. It's secondary. Uh, where somebody's really, really inflamed, and we got we got to be really strict on things. Okay, I'll, I'll run it. Um, I don't want to, but that's that's what we do. So and it, years ago, we used to run on everybody, and then we understand what the mechanism was, and that's not it. So if you can't digest anything for your stomach, guess what? You're going to have a ton of food sensitivities. Um, and it doesn't matter how many things you eliminate, and your stomach still can't break down anything, you're still going to have a ton of food sensitivities and nothing you're going to do about it. Um, so we have to get you to digest first. So top-down physiology is a masterful, wonderful thing uh, that I learned from Deitis Karazian. Uh, we knew that. We're taught it in school. It is nobody puts it together to make it easy the way he can explain it to us. So uh, that was a fantastic idea. And so we don't do food sensitivities until I can get you to digest. And in, in my case, one of the you know foods that we found that I was allergic to was gluten and dairy. And I don't want to be jumping up and down the gluten bandwagon, but... Um, I didn't know that gluten was an epidemic or that it could cause autoimmune diseases. And that is a huge trigger in that you, if you have a gluten in your bloodstream, that means that you have a leaky gut. And of course, leaky gut can create all these other things because gluten is a huge molecule to go through. So it has to go through that way. So the more I talk about what's going on, there's a term, again, for a leaky gut. And if you're listening and you're going, oh, I shouldn't be listening to this anymore, I'm going to turn off this uh, podcast because leaky gut is a bunch of BS. The, the real name for leaky gut, and I don't prefer that either, is called intestinal permeability. And this was a few podcasts ago when there's a lot of information on it. And there are over 200 clinical studies in the journal of gastroenterology on intestinal permeability alone. So if you're a medical doctor or anybody else says there's no way you have a leaky gut or poo-poos it, they're not reading their literature. So it's there. There are almost 4,000 studies on PubMed. So it's out there. It's real. It exists. So when you have a leaky gut, you can also have a leaky brain. You can have a leaky lung. You can have leaky sinuses. And you get all the fun stuff where you can also have asthma, ADHD, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. And it's because of the mechanisms that happen in the gut, the permeable membrane that relate to this and they can create an inflammation. So it's important to understand that it's more than just some leaky gut thing that's out there. So my professional background with all of this is, you know, 25 years ago, I started on the scientific background. I love science. And 
where I was going with it and whether it was pre-med or something in Avenue, I knew I had to end up somewhere in the medical health field. I ended up in pathology. So my background in stool, uh, my first degree was a, a degree in molecular and cellular biology with chemistry. And I found out when you get out of school, if you don't have a PhD, you can make six to seven dollars an hour with a college degree. Fantastic. So back to school I did. I really didn't do my pre-research on going there. So after another degree in anatomy and physiology and um, etc., I ended up in pathology as a clinical laboratory scientist, and and we test everything that comes out of the body. The tissue is something to look at in a lab. We can test it. We can look at it. We put it under a microscope. Does it have a disease? Does it not have a disease? And these are all done by pathologists. So as a clinical laboratory scientist, we are certified by the American um, Society of Clinical Pathology, so we work right along with them. Uh, most of the time, we do most of the work and say, can you check my work? Uh, you are the student. They are the, the doctor, and that's the way it was. But it was cool because I always had very good pathologists that – uh, would always come and say, I don't know how you caught that. Because <laughs> I, I, I would, at the time, I would, I would if we were drawing blood on somebody, um, hey, what are we drawing this for? And they would tell me, like, for instance, uh, there was a missionary that came back from um, Swaziland, and he's like, I, I just have fever and chills, but they, they've checked me for malaria and whatnot, and I, I don't seem to have that. And um, he goes, but I have this, I get this thing that goes across my eye, and it's like squiggly. And okay, so... It was a night shift night for me, and I had extra hours, so I literally spent like five hours looking at his what's called morphology slide or a CBC slide. We're looking at it back and forth, and sure as heck, I found I found it. Um, he had two things. Not only did he have um, malaria that he just wasn't found in the the first sample, so I got to you know we can take screenshots even in the early two thousands on the microscopes and then um, give them to the pathologist to verify. He had a lower lower arm, so that was the squiggly that was going across his eye. It was um, kind of weird, but getting to know their history is uh, something that he had gone in with a fever and nobody had checked to see where he'd been, and that was just a little thing that I do. And it was just uh, fortunate that we had such a, a, an easy night that I could go help this this missionary out with it. So that's why we do history. It, it was profound, even you know twenty something years ago, that history was important. And what got me into functional medicine, because we want to have homeostasis as opposed to sick care. All the blood tests are based on sick care. All their tests are from sick people. And so they have reference ranges that do not apply to people who want to be healthy. So we have to do that. Unfortunately, that goes outside of the medical world, which means non-insurance. And then we have to do uh, our what we call our, our, our medical testing that's... Um, I think better than the standard of care testing. So we use the combination of these two things um, to figure out what's going on with our autoimmune patients. We have to understand if they have one Th1 pathway or one Th2 pathway that's out, you can have false positives. You can have false negatives. So I've had multiple patients come in the office with all the symptoms of um, of celiac disease and said, you know, I've been tested for celiac and I'm negative. Well, there's 151 different tests for celiac disease. Transcontaminase 3 is one. Um, and if you don't have any IgG or IgA to test for an antibody, then you're going to be negative all day long. So we help boost the immune system or that part of the body that makes antibodies and they come up to a normal thing that we can test. Guess what? We retest them and they're positive. Did I make them celiac? No. The test was unknown or unlooked at. So in every single one of our panels, when we meet somebody for the first time and we're running tests, I'm running an IgG and IgA, um, to take a look to make sure we don't have false negatives and false positives. I've yet to find, other than a, a few doctors in our circle, when I get reports from other doctors, people aren't running it, and, and I don't know why. It's like a $5 test. So it's not the cost. 
it's the education, the understanding, the 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 medical testing that I can get on a soapbox and go back and forth, but let's not beat up everybody. But that's that's why we do that. And at some point, uh, I am on a lot of forums. I'm really trying to encourage a lot of doctors to uh, look at these in a different way. I'm not being mean about it. I'm just saying, hey, look at this. Um, add this to your panel. Do this. Uh, if they don't, if the insurance doesn't cover it, and you're one of the insurance doctors. I'm sure they're willing to pay $10 to find out if their test is good or not, especially because it's testings are, you know, some of these are, you know, five, $6,000 when you're in the medical world because the upsell is, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, what we get, let's say a complete blood count for and what insurance charges, let's say I get it for $5. I'm not kidding when I say I see insurance charge $250 for that test. So if you have a 10% copay and we got it for five bucks, we sell it to you for five bucks. Uh, but if your copay is 90%, you're going to pay $250 for that or um, $25 for that test. Well, that's just one test, but you might have, you know, 10 or so tests on there. And all of a sudden, you know, times two, you, know, you got a $250 bill and you're like, what? Uh, for what? But because that's their upsell. So that's why we, we don't even like to use insurance at all possible. We do it for people in the office if they feel better, but most of the time are out of pocket uh, for now until they pull that away too is, is better. So... Uh, that's why that's why we want to know false positives false negatives so if the other big picture of that is if you're at 99 percent so if the cutoff for an autoimmune disease let's say is 100 whatever the test is and you're at 99.9 percent medically what can you do nothing your hands are tied it's not an autoimmune condition but if we see that we're like um when is it going to be uh do we test it every single day till it's there no we, we try to okay let's go after this you know, by all probability, this is what it is, and this is what we want to break down. So my point in my education in these last three minutes, and this is part one of, of two parts of autoimmune. Um, if you have an autoimmune case, you're not alone in the United States. There are 70 million people who have a known diagnosed autoimmune condition. Following the pandemic, and this is a known trigger to autoimmune conditions, it's guesstimated that it's more like 250 million 250 million people in the United States have guesstimated by testing, because you get all the tests that come out for anything, they, they buy your blood after you've had it drawn. What's left? It gets tested on. Do you have this? It's how you figure out if there's antibodies to, uh, let's say they gave the polio vaccine, all right? And then as people went through life, they could go, okay, well, uh, 10 years after the polio vaccine, they had um, they had a cold, so they came in and they got uh, they had a blood draw to see what's going on. Well, the remaining blood, we tested antibodies for polio. Was it there? Yes, no. 20 years after. And so they follow people around like that. That's how our medical system works, but that's also how you get what's called information. Does this work or that work? Um, and so following this pandemic, understanding that this is a different cold it is uh, it falls into the bias of cold but it is a cold that you know it works in a different way that's why you can use anti-malarials or anti um you know where the rest of the world might be using um hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin and we're not going to go into any of the details on those but it's a different thing and so they can you know there are enough cases that show that people using that in different parts of the world are getting results those should not work on a virus. Does that make sense? I hope it does uh, because they're not made for a virus. So how do they come in? It's because it's a different type of virus and it's doing different things. So 250 million people is a lot of people. So if you haven't, you're still like, well, what's this autoimmune thing? If you've ever heard of rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or diabetes or osteoporosis, 
These are autoimmune conditions. You can even have blood pressure issues. You can have an autoimmunity to your heart. So we're all told that if you have um, osteopenia or osteoporosis, you have a bone problem. And so you should probably take some calcium. My first question to my patients are, have you ever seen a big bull walk over to a heifer and start getting the milk? And the answer is no. So where did this big bull get its calcium from? We got it from green leafy vegetables. So why do you need to drink milk? Or why do you need to take calcium supplements? And cow's milk grows an animal to about 2,000 pounds with a very low IQ in about two years. And the calcium that's in cow's milk is what's called calcium carbonate. Now, if we break that down, it's a name for chalk. So if those of you here listening are old enough to remember chalkboards, we had chalkboards as opposed to magic markers. That's what you're getting. It's very hard to digest. So if you have anything going on in your immune system or your digestive system, you're not going to digest it. So taking calcium is not going to work. And when you put calcium into the body in high amounts, guess what? It's inflammatory. And not only that, it's neuroinflammatory, meaning it irritates or inflames the nervous system. So if you have an autoimmune case that's run by the immune system, that's run by the nervous system that tells the immune system what to do, and then you put more inflammation on top of this, you're going to create more of an autoimmune condition. This is why we try to keep people away from gluten too, because again, it starts to affect more of the autoimmune condition. So I hope that makes some sense to you. So it really is autoimmunity. It comes to a loss of self-tolerance. You no longer know who is yourself and what isn't yourself um, when you're talking to your immune system. And I know you don't wake up in the morning and go, hey, immune system, what's up? Hey, um, you don't text it or anything like that, but that's, that's how the communication goes. There are pathways that come along with this. Uh, one that says, oh my gosh, that's not me. Let's take an antibody to it. And the other pathway says, I see what you're making the antibody to. Let's go kill it. And that's where the natural killer cells side. And that's when you get destruction of tissue. So if you make an antibody to yourself and attaches to yourself, then the immune system goes and attacks it and it says it's not for me and it must go and destroy it. And technically, in order to be diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, you have to have these autoimmune antibodies that we can test in your blood. And then we have a biopsy from the tissue that's in question and it shows that it's actually being destroyed. If you don't have destroyed tissue, it has a name, not autoimmune disease, because destruction is disease. You actually have something called autoimmunity. It's not an autoimmune disease, but you are making antibodies. And it's only a matter of time, whether it's the triggers that come along, the inflammation in your body, your lifestyle, that creates autoimmune diseases. So your autoimmunity. In the nicest way, this is what's called pre-autoimmune disease. I'm going to start uh, going into more details of autoimmunity in our next podcast and finish it up. I just wanted to get you the overview of what autoimmunity and autoimmune disease and, and some of the names that go along with it and understanding the triggers and some of the other podcasts that we had to come along. I understand that you can listen to any podcast that you want. There is no uh, if, ands, or buts or somebody that says you can't watch that or listen to it anymore and, and you have a choice. So if you're listening to this, I appreciate that you went through all this and I, I really want the information to set home so you make the changes that you can for you and your life and your family to make a difference in this world and to have the energy that you deserve to have and have the health that you deserve to have so you can do whatever it is that you need to do to thrive. I'm Dr. Trites. Great health does not have to be a mission impossible.